Welcome to the Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr on Iowa Catholic Radio. Every Wednesday, diving deep in the truth of the Catholic Church and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good, live from the Mercy Live Up Studio. On the air, I'm Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. We are, you know, rushed around because John Leonetti thinks he owns the place. That is a quick transition from uh, John Leonetti's show to ours. 11.50 a.m., 88.5 FM, 94.5 FM, streaming live, iowacatholicradio.com. And if you have the Iowa Catholic Radio app, you can listen to us anywhere, thanks to Blessman Ministries and the People's Abstract Company. One of the nice things about that, bud, is today is the last day that we have to worry about truncating that. Oh, yeah, headed to 10 a.m., right? That's right. So CST. The same bat channel, different bat time. The new bat time... Wednesdays, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. No longer having to do the... Uh, the, the Leonetti shuffle. The Leonetti shuffle. Out the studio. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, July 4th weekend, how, uh, how was your big day? Oh, it was amazing. We went camping, which I generally dislike, but um, I don't know. I was inspired to get out of the house and spend time out in the woods and survive the bears. Played a lot of Rook. And then... Um, on on the fourth of July, my my wife's husband, my brother in law, is one of these people that dedicates like one paycheck each year to fireworks, uh-huh. which is good for me because my kids can enjoy it all. But I save a little dough, and I think all of my children still have their digits. Yeah, I don't know if there's plenty of people on the south side of Des Moines who might not eat for a while. The <laughs> the, the, the 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 amount of food uh, uh, money that they had to put forth for fireworks. We were driving back from Oklahoma, and I know that it was. Uh, you know, the, the humidity was high yesterday, and yeah. there was a lot of fog. But I think at least half to three-fourths of that was firework smoke. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it, it, you could literally, you, you clear the hill after winter set, <laughs> and it was just this, like, fog over the city. And they shot stuff off till at least midnight. Well, I hate to get serious uh, too quick, and, well, I, I don't intend this flippantly, but I wonder if Laudato Si' addresses the environmental impact of fireworks. Because when I was driving home, it was smoky. Yeah, I I don't know if uh, birds ran into each other and things like this. It, I, I can understand how maybe there were some difficulties. But it looked like people really heartily celebrated the 4th of July. The only thing I'm worried about is I read the law, and I think, I don't know about in Des Moines, but I think in the state of Iowa they're allowed to shoot off fireworks till July 8th. Uh-oh. Your sleep um, schedule might be in trouble this week. Yeah, and that's one of the things where you're, you're like, you know, uh, for me... I, I thought the magic of it all was having one day, but evidently in America, one day is never enough to celebrate. Well, I think this year was um, an optimal arrangement for excessive celebration because it, it falls on a Tuesday. So I think this past weekend was a long weekend for a lot of people. And now it's the middle of the week and you're like, let's keep the octave of the 4th of July rolling. <laughs> <laughs> some more fireworks. Well, we're brought to you always, uh, as always. Uh, by Mercy College of Health Sciences. We were not shooting off fireworks. Our fireworks came in the t- uh, the form of midterms, and generally not a bad job, pretty decent. I think the students did all right. I mean, especially in our servant leadership class, it's interesting to read their essays and see how they're processing, you know, this talk about virtue and justice and, you know, um, witness in the world, being compassionate caregivers. Yeah, and they, they got to have a chance to uh, take a break, too, so hopefully they'll like us again when we see them this week. <laughs> also, as always, brought to you by Cartridge World. 
Support for the Uncommon Good is provided by Cartridge World. Cartridge World is an industry leader delivering high-performance printing products that help you save time, money, and print great. It's perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies and ink. Business customers, pickup and delivery are available for business customers. Well, uh, today we're supposed to... Oh, right. Excuse me. Uh, 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400. Online, cartridgeworld.com. We should be having on Eric Ellis, who is the Notobart Fellow in the Medieval Institute at University of Notre Dame, and uh, have an interesting discussion um, about different ideas, concepts, like the West and all these things like this. By the concerned look on Deacon Tony's face, I might have to call someone. <laughs> uh, but that's what we should be having on. Otherwise, Bud and I are probably going to have to talk about uh, the common good and fireworks for an hour. We could cold call the Catholic movie guy. <laughs> That was legal office. We could see some. We could do a mystery number. Just dial. Just dial. Right <laughs> here on the common good. What do you think about these things, <laughs> Bishop Pates? Yeah, he. Oh boy. I mean, man, you want to talk about the, the common good? They just all got back. We had a whole delegate uh, from the Des Moines Diocese go down to the big uh, convocation in Florida, and thanks to that uh, millennial dear to our hearts, Justin White. I wonder if he's listening. I noticed that he like made them do uh, uh, video updates on Facebook. And uh, it's quite great because yeah. you could uh, you can see like all the people over thirty five were like, "What are we doing here?" It was awesome. The new director of youth formation or youth ministry, I don't know exactly yes. what his job title is. Um, he's really dragged the diocesan offices like twenty Into years. Into the future, yes, yes. yeah. He's, What's that dumb meme? Like we're all in twenty seventeen and he's in thirty seventeen or yeah. whatever. <laughs> but uh, if you really were wondering what um, other diocesan stars like uh, Adam Story and. John Wynn looked like on internet video. Here's your chance. Go to the diocese uh, Facebook page. You get to see what you want there. Um, we uh, we didn't go camping ourselves, bud, um, but we were by a lake, and you were talking about Lao Dao Sea. Yeah. People were not going with the waves. They were just full bore <laughs> jumping off of each other's waves and everything like so that. So this is, what's the nearest town? Uh, w- Wagner, Oklahoma. Wagner, Oklahoma. When you guys do vacations like this, how do you? It, for us, it's always an adventure to find mass and when it's going to be. Do you use masstimes.org? Uh, we do, except it's a little unfair because we can literally just go down to our the Clear Creek Monastery where oh. I'm a monk, and that's where we go down to mass. Because we we had it all squared away, so, so we're out sort of in the middle of nowhere, central Nebraska, and we Googled everything and we got our mass time, and we we showed up at. Um, a church which shall remain nameless in Central City, Nebraska. And <laughs> you could see a lot of confused, I wouldn't say tourists, but you know, like people were traveling and and folks were like coming in and out of the church. And I get up there and someone had like folded up the bulletin and circled that there was a time change for the mass. Oh, wow. And so we had, you know, we had left the campsite and done this kind of like excursion to go to mass. <laughs> and they're like, oh, it's 1030. We've got a new priest. And I mean, the the deacon blessed us and everything. It was a nice conversation, but kind of disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> that was one speed bump on the trip, and the other one, it went smoothly, mostly overall. And my six-year-old daughter is like a fireworks fiend. Like, she's lighting off stuff she should not light off. Like, every time I turn my back, she's just throwing <laughs> lady fingers in the air. Yeah. But um, last night, we were driving home really late because we had stayed for the big display. So it's like 12.30 a.m., and all of a sudden, like, um, I mix up everybody's age. I think Mary's three now. Mm-hmm. She had to go to the bathroom desperately, so I pulled off on the interstate in between Des Moines and um, Omaha, and we pulled off on one of these interstates where they're working on the on-ramp, Oh! so we had to go back the other direction. (laughs) (laughs) 
Those, those are, are real marriage builders. I got to talk to Adam's story. Like, how to utilize twelve thirty a.m. Yeah. No, the emergency uh, exits. That's nice. No, um, our our family building exercise was basically there was just uh, three different lines of severe weather every time. Uh, it's a very Oklahoma weekend, but people were still shooting. It's like they were shooting off uh, fireworks into lightning. <laughs> And uh, I was like, all we need is like an earthquake and a tornado, and this would be a very complete weekend, uh, you know, hitting all the stops. It can feel very dystopian when all the fireworks are going off, and it's when we were exiting my sister's neighborhood. It was just like we're weaving in between explosions, and yeah, I, I, you know, people were talking about. I usually don't feel that bad for pets because I remember '80s pets who, you know, <laughs> lived on their own and just came. You know, they'd come every two weeks, and you're like, oh, you're back. Uh, but now people treat their pets, you know pretty nice but i do feel bad how much fourth of july has ramped up because those pet you can just every pet is like what's going on and i think they wake up the next morning and are a little disappointed like why isn't more things destroyed <laughs> well i know we had the uh, beef barbecue bonner bud sandwich at pickerman's last week yeah i was thinking for our show a great fundraiser would be a fireworks stand like <laughs> we got to get in on that industry <laughs> there was so much uh, i don't know I know. I, I mean, feel like an old man. Just, are those young people fired but it seems like everybody. Explosions? I don't know if it's just that like, now that we all have Facebook, we all notice it, but or not. Well, we're going to go take a break real quick and try to uh, hunt down um, our guest. So this is The Uncommon Good. Stick around. We'll be back in a few minutes. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports 365 is provided in part by Monroe Law Office in Des Moines. For 28 years, Ken Monroe has represented Iowans in all types of civil litigation, including personal injury, property damage, insurance coverage, and contract disputes. Ken Monroe, Notre Dame graduate, and his wife Mary are active members of St. Pius X Catholic Church and Dowling Catholic graduates, proud supporters of Dowling Catholic High School and its mission. MonroeLawOffice.com. That's M-U-N-R-O LawOffice.com. Hi, this is Teresa Tamio saying thank you, Bows in the Floors, for underwriting my show, Catholic Connection, and also for your great support of Iowa Catholic Radio for more than 10 years. Flowers are a timeless gift. At Bows in the Florist, we believe in providing the best services all over the globe. Hi, this is Tom Bozen, and we've opened a new store in West Des Moines at West Glen Town Center. With Bozen's, you get fresh flowers 24-7 with same-day delivery anywhere in the world or around the corner. No rush, no fuss, 515-244-ROSE or online at bozen.com. Join Iowans for Life July 12th at noon for their Lunch and Learn series featuring guest speaker Jennifer Rao. Jennifer is an RN and the Director of Medical Services at Informed Choice of Iowa. Jennifer is currently launching Informed Choice's mobile medical unit in Des Moines. This mobile unit is bringing services to strategic places in the city, helping women and families. Learn more Wednesday, July 12th at Market One Building, 130 East 3rd Street, Des Moines. More information can be found at iowansforlife.org or call 515-255-4113. Thank you for listening to Iowa Catholic Radio. To continue to provide you with the best possible programming, we have sent out a survey. Due to the feedback from the survey, we are reintroducing the former programming schedule with a couple of changes. John Leonetti in the morning is moving back to 7 to 8. Catholic Connection will once again be live from 8 to 9. The Rosary returns to 9.30. On Tuesday, Straight Talk will be from 9 to 9.30. Faith on Trial from 10 to 11. And on Wednesday, The Uncommon Good will also air from 10 to 11. We thank you for all your feedback and for your continued support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Hey friends, John Linetti here, and I want to thank Plaza Dental Group for underwriting my show. Plaza Dental Group makes their patients feel comfortable and right at home, like one of the family. Catholic-owned, they offer cosmetic dentistry and implants, six-month smiles, and Invisalign, an alternative to traditional braces, along with mercury-free dentistry. Plaza Dental Group, comfortable dentistry. 
515-344-3523. Online at dmsmiles.com. We're back with the Uncommon Good. We're having a bit of trouble uh, connecting to our guest, so uh, we're going to wing it a bit and talk about, uh, I don't know, but you know, we talk about 4th of July, we have our big holiday uh, yeah. for the United States, and I know that for people, you, you can see the, the run of the gamut about what people want to talk about when it comes to things like July 4th and uh, pride and everything like this. I think one interesting thing to talk about, the word patriotism, you hear the word patriot, yeah. it comes from the Latin word patria which means father, and uh, this idea of having a, a land of our fathers and things like this. And so, you know, on our show, we're always trying to talk about how the political breakdown of left or right, um, the sort of easy ways we fall into political discussion, that we're really not interested in those because we think there's a deeper way that Catholic social teaching can speak to all of these things. I remember very distinctly one class from a professor you and I are, uh, both uh, respect very much, and I think we might have been in the same class, uh, Dr. Reinhard Huter. He was actually one of the first converts to Catholicism that ever taught me at uh, Duke Divinity School. And there was a lot of people talking this way or that for various reasons about um, patriotism and the role of uh, the church and the government. And he pointed out that patria is understood as a Catholic virtue, a Christian virtue, but with a much different meaning because it has this idea of maybe the government isn't what you want it to be. Uh, Maybe we're not doing exactly what you want, but there's a way in which it's important to understand that we come from um, our fathers. You read in the Old Testament when people you know, die, they sleep with their fathers. And this is with people who I'm reading through First and Second Kings. Um, plenty of these kings were not great people, but they went to sleep with their fathers. And I, I wonder if maybe that's a good way for people in the church to understand what it is exactly we're celebrating this week. Yeah, it sounds like um, what you're pointing out there is that we should feel a kind of tension in the world. What I mean that by that is um, we know that our ultimate allegiance is to the kingdom of God and that, um, you know, uh, in Hebrews, the author talks about waiting for a home that's immovable or can't be shaken. And so obviously that transcends any sort of natural allegiance or um, commitment, but we are in this world and we have our families, we have our country. And so I, I guess the question for Christians becomes how do we live faithfully in the context and in the time that God's placed us. Right. So we are in the world, but not of it. And that sort of tension makes us understand things even like Fourth of July a bit different. And unfortunately, when you get in discussions discussions like this, um, it's really easy to um, seem like you're poo-pooing on the whole idea of celebrating, which would be, of course, silly. I think, you know, when you celebrate, for instance, we just had our two daughters have a joint birthday party um, a few weeks back. And I think people would misunderstand it if the idea that what Christians say, well, because we have this higher allegiance to God, you can't do things like celebrate the fact um, of your birth. I'm imagining going up to our children and being like, it was great you were born, but until you're saints, no cake for you, which would be, of course, silly. But there is, of course, a way in which being too wrapped up in the world um, would be exactly what we need to try to avoid. I think, you know, July 4th is always a very powerful event for two reasons. One is it makes people think about, you know, why do they love this country? Um, Why was it important to be a part of this country for their family members? I know you, uh, both of us have members of our family that have served in the military and in civil service. But I also think it's the reason that we hear a lot of people thinking about what can our country do better um, is something that we should actually not, you know, get angry about, but say, 
that is one of the virtues I think that the people as the United States people are often prone to do is to, on an occasion of celebration, ask what can we do better? Well, I like the analogy that you drew to family, because I think if you if you love your country, if you have this um, patriotism that's rooted in the idea of a natural virtue, uh, um, you, you're willing to speak out when necessary. Or, you know, if you truly love your family members, that doesn't mean always sort of like seeing everything through rose-colored glasses. Now, you don't want to be the guy at Thanksgiving that's always like, you need to brush your teeth more. You know, <laughs> it's like... Um, it's not this like constant barrage of criticism, but I I think what you're saying is like uh, eyes wide open in a sense to the realities that are out there and, and being willing to speak the truth. That's going to look differently during different time periods. But you know, we, I think of something like the, the Catholic church has given us like this whole just war tradition. And as Christians we're we're called to apply that. And I guess not getting wrapped into up into like, like these colors don't bleed doesn't mean like I'm going to just like baptize every decision that's made by the governing authority. Well, and I think that, you know, going off of that analogy, a good functioning family is able to have arguments. It's able to look back on decisions that it's made as a family and not just bag on it, but actually make um, commentary that, that allows it to proceed forward. You yeah. think about being a parent and I know that, you know, we've had children for a decade now and already just with just only a decade under the belt, there's plenty that I go, wow, we could have done things radically different and <laughs> saved a lot of heartache and maybe have been a lot better for people too. And I think sometimes when people lament, you know, that um, we've lost the ability to have discourse in this country, um, I think that, there, you know, all things are a virtue, right? So that you can lose that in two ways. One of it is that all you think there is to do is to critique, but then another is to act like there is no critique to be had. And if you fall into either of these vices, the thing that's most vital to being able to move forward and do things different um, falls away. And so the the virtue that we're seeking is to love something enough to want it to improve. And I will say that you brought up the Thanksgiving point. I think maybe that's what some people get tired of. Sometimes like on, it's, it seems like on the big holidays uh, when it comes to the United States, that's when people bring out the critiques. And it seems like, well, is there just a time to have like, you know, a Thanksgiving meal and be happy for who we are? And that, yeah. that point may be well granted. The only thing I'll throw back out is we seem to ignore talking about, you know, the things that matter of substance so much. Or we talk about them in very superficial ways that I think sometimes people think Fourth of July is just that time when we can sit down and think what does it mean to be us well and as you were talking there wouldn't you say that um if there is a kind of vacuum of patriotism uh, i don't know i don't want to pick on france but i'm going to pick on france no i I think about some of the conversations that are happening in europe right now right and you know over the last few decades there's been this move towards well i mean there's been the concretization or the bringing about of the european union Mm -hmm. and now there's countries over there that are asking like what's our place here or can we can we sort of like seek justice or like a proper um can we attain the common good when we're part of this kind of conglomeration where our own needs and concerns get sort of like um blurred and in light of like the you know, like it's run by maybe like bureaucrats at sort of like this international level or whatnot. And I guess I, I'm I'm being sort of, I'm not making my point very straightforward here. But like, I mean, you think about a country like France, the eldest daughter of the church, the way that like devotion to St. Joan of Arc has played over its history. 
And if people kind of lose that cultural memory or a love for this land and the good of this land, I mean, I think in some sense, I, I don't know, it sounds like a lot of young people in Europe are sort of disoriented and they don't know, like, what's the direction of my life and the direction of this country? Am I just sort of like one person among 8 billion in the world or do I have a place here where I can love God and know God and seek the good? Yeah, I I think that uh, that's a wonderful way to put it. I always joke around as an Oklahoman that like uh, Texas occupies the same part of uh, my life as France, I think, for does in Christendom, right? Because France has like the coolest saints on earth, but it also has like the revolution and everything like that. And for us an Oklahoman, I think Texas has like really great music, but it also has the South by Southwest Festival 2017, <laughs> which is a bane of Oklahoman existence. Well, to- Deacon Tony, he's got a smile on his face. So well, I think that that means sign. that we got uh, Eric on the phone. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Eric, good to hear you. We were We were worried about you. Now, now we're not. Now we're just mad at you. No, I'm kidding. Yes, good to be here. Sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. Eric Ellis is the Notabart Fellow in the Medieval Institute of United uh, of the University of Notre Dame, uh, where he is writing his dissertation on culture and linguistics in 10th century Byzantium. Eric, no problem. Bud and I just got to harp on about um, patriotism in July 4th, and hope. I think I just made people from Texas mad. So it's really just been a pretty oh, normal actually. show. Yeah. Um, I actually think that all this talk plays into what you were wanting to talk about. Um, We get this sense, so Bud was bringing up the European Union, and we were talking about, of course, like fatherlands and and, and what's the virtue, the the, the golden mean between never critiquing your place in the world and always critiquing it. And, you know, you and I have had discussions about what is it to mean to talk about, like, the place of the West in in cultural identity and cultural memory? Um, What does it mean to talk about... Uh, the Roman Catholic Church uh, in, in the wider uh, worldview. And I, I think a lot of people think of the word Catholic, but today we're really going to talk about that word Roman. I think we all say, oh, Roman Catholic, the Pope of Rome. We think about the city walls of Rome. But I think what you want to point out is in history, that idea of Romanness and what it means to be the West is much larger. That's exactly right, yes. Um you know, I think I think this really goes back at least to to Virgil and the Aeneid. You know, this idea of the West. Um, uh, the Greek view is, is is somewhat smaller. It's nationalist in a way, but there's this idea that Rome is an idea that can grow to encompass the whole world. Um, and I think we have largely forgotten that in the West, where since say the French Revolution, maybe even a little further back, we viewed. The West is being Western Europe and North America and this tradition of liberalism and capitalism and 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 all these and democracy these ideas we generally uh, associate with modernity but there's a there's an older notion of the West that includes the Muslim world and Russia and Byzantium and uh, we don't really think in those terms anymore I think that's something that would help us uh, as we look at the 21st century going forward to to understand how we should think about ourselves maybe, but, but also to help us understand how uh, our Orthodox brothers understand the world and, our, uh, and how the political situation is understanding itself. This is, the unco- this is the Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. We're speaking with Eric Ellis. Eric, one way that I think maybe this can... Because, um, uh, you know, you say this like, oh, Rome is a much bigger concept than the physical confines of Rome. People go, well, what do you mean? Because Rome is a city, and yeah, isn't that the whole point? 
But uh, Rome hasn't always been one city, has it? In fact, there's been multiple cities that have tried to claim that they're Rome, and then there's also uh, multiple people trying to to take the, the mantle of Rome. Yes, it's absolutely right. I, I think, again, our view, and, and this really comes from the 18th century, uh, Gibbon and the, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, we, we date the fall of Rome to 476, when the city of Rome fell. You know, that's, that's, that's the big one. But the idea of Rome uh, continued to inspire uh, art and, and politics and culture for a long time. I used to be a Latin teacher. And sometimes people, might, well, always, my, my students would ask me, when did the last Roman empire, emperor die? And if I was being cheeky, I'd say 1922, <laughs> uh, when, when Charles I of Austria died. Uh, that was really the last time that, that any sort of claim could be made for an organic connection to the Roman Empire, right? You had uh, uh, Nicholas II died, of course, in the Russian Revolution. He would have represented the Byzantine strand of, of, of Roman identity, and then 1922, Charles of Austria died. So, uh, and, and I think in the West, with, with fascism between the wars, uh, that whole idea sort of got discredited, right? Uh, at least as far as we're concerned. But it hasn't been discredited in the, in, the, in the Islamic world, and it hasn't been discredited in Eastern Europe, despite communism. Um, so, yeah, it's, this, it's, this, it's the idea of Rome rather than the city. That, that's that's more important and you had at the in late antiquity the establishment of a second rome constantinople uh which a lot of people don't know that's not actually the name of the city the official name of the city was neoromi which means new rome hmm. and then uh it came over time to be called the city of constantine because he was the founder which is constantinople hmm. um and then uh, it's, so in the church councils for instance constantinople is usually referred to as new rome um, and then with the fall of Constantinople in 1453, uh, Moscow begins to understand itself as Third Rome. And this is perhaps something that, that, that went under the radar during most of the 20th century, but seems to be reemerging in an important way. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think, again, if, if, we, if we take a step back and, and we broaden our perspective, uh, it'll help us understand the world a lot better. And, and both in the in the ecclesial realm and in the geopolitical realm, I think one of the things that we've we've sort of lost in the last fifty years in the Western Church is this is the the idea that we are Roman, right? And it, it's not just the idea that we do things the way they do them in Rome, and 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 there's St. Peter's Basilica, and there's a particular Ars Celebrandi that goes along with the way we we you know Gregorian chant, but in a real way that Christianity is Roman. And, well, that, and that there, and that and that Rome was the, the seedbed of Christianity, and that in some in some ways, these two things are inseparable. Well, Eric, this is fascinating stuff that we're just getting started with. We're going to go into uh, the nine o'clock break here, um, but you you can join us after we get back from nine o'clock, correct? Right. Yes. All right. Well, folks, like I said, this has been a, a good startup, but uh, we're going to get really into the meat of the talk uh, here when we get back at nine. So if you can stick around with the Uncommon Good, Bob Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr, we will be speaking with Eric Ellis here again soon. This is the Uncommon Good. In God We Trust. Have a safe and blessed 4th of July weekend from Iowa Catholic Radio, 1150 AM, 88.5 and 94.5 FM.
Hey friends, John Linetti here, and I want to thank Plaza Dental Group for underwriting my show. Plaza Dental Group makes their patients feel comfortable and right at home, like one of the family. Catholic-owned, they offer cosmetic dentistry and implants, six-month smiles, and Invisalign, an alternative to traditional braces, along with mercury-free dentistry. Plaza Dental Group, comfortable dentistry. 515-344-3523. Online at dmsmiles.com. Thank you, R&R Realty Group, for supporting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. R&R Realty Group is an Iowa commercial real estate owner and developer that provides services for all commercial real estate needs, including brokerage, interior space planning, real estate management, construction, and more. R&R Realty Group has been accommodating business expansions and real estate solutions since 1985, solving commercial real estate needs. R&R Realty Group, establishing long-term relationships built on trust. Iowa Catholic Radio, 1150 AM, 88.5 and 94.5 FM. Corel Contractor serves Des Moines and Central Iowa for all earth-moving and excavating needs. Family-owned since 1959, Corel Contractor will complete a project you can be proud of on budget and on time. Corel Contractor, 515-221-9669. CorelContractor.com. This is Richard Pates, Bishop of Des Moines. Pray with us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Iowa Catholic Radio, KWKY, and K233BT Des Moines, and KIHS Adel. It's 9 o'clock. Don't you worry about a thing. Jesus Christ is still the King. Welcome to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr on Iowa Catholic Radio. Every Wednesday, diving deep in the truth of the Catholic Church and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good, live from the Mercy Live Up Studio. We're back with The Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr. We're speaking with Eric Ellis, uh, Notabart Fellow in the Medieval Institute at University of Notre Dame. This is our last time to actually go from 830 uh, to 940. Starting next week, we will be 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. every Wednesday. However, if you miss the first part of this uh, show, the 839 part, we'll have it up on podcast. Just go to The Uncommon Good on Facebook, or you can look us up on iTunes. Um, just to recap real quick, uh, Bud and I talked far too long about fireworks, a bit about patriotism. I made a jab about France and Texas that would make both country and state mad. And then we got to talk with Eric Ellis about what I guess would call the sort of compression of the idea of what is the West and what is Rome. And I think that's what we're going to kick back off on. So, Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. So I think uh, just to, to, to broadly recap and get to the next part, um, what you're saying is there's a benefit to have a wider understanding of what we mean when we mean the West or what we mean by Rome. The West being, we kind of mean just the United States and Western Europe, and Rome being the physical confines of Rome or maybe the diocese. But in your studies, you've pointed out that the West is a much broader category through most of history, and that the idea of being Roman um, motivates a lot of the political history that we've seen through the last thousand years. Absolutely. Um, I think we 
in 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 the academy especially we tend to allow say a a schema to to define too rigidly how we understand ourselves and the world and we can't understand why people don't act according to the way we think they ought to right um and i think one of the the, the one that, that that's mostly operative now is is say this this you could call it liberal in some senses it's it's marxist but this idea that that economics is the driving factor right so we we heard this a lot in the last couple of years with uh problems in the middle east right these are economic problems um and in a lot of ways i i think if we if we were open to to understanding ourselves as as part of this broader narrative right we would we could under at least at least we could understand how other people see us <laughs> right right um and it, it's it's interesting to me uh, say I don't want to get too uh, too contemporary. Uh, I'm I'm kind of a historian, so it's 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 out of my ken. But uh, uh, you know, ISIS has this this magazine Dabik, and one of their cover stories was this this photoshopped uh, image of St. Peter's with uh, an ISIS flag on top, mm. right? And and uh, and they refer to the West as the nation of the cross. And this is just shocking to a lot of people who who are secular, mm-hmm. who who don't understand themselves as being part of that narrative, right? Um, and and don't really understand that there is sort of this this drive um, uh, that that Rome is still the center of the world for a lot of people. <laughs> you know, it's not Washington D.C., it's not New York, it's not London, it's not Brussels. Rome is is this, even though it's not important economically. Uh, uh, it's not. It's not. It's not the center of a lot of the things we care about. Um, it's still got this strong spiritual center that uh, that Muslims and Orthodox people we would people that say Roman Catholics wouldn't wouldn't think have this connection have this very strong connection to the idea of Rome um, and also to the city of Rome. Well, Eric, that dovetails into the question that's kind of been rattling in my mind, and I know you said. You know, you're very much a historian, so I apologize if this is too contemporary or sort of um, application-based. But as you were speaking, um, I was wondering, you know, uh, I, I could see someone tuning in this morning and maybe not being Catholic, and they stumble on Iowa Catholic Radio, and they hear this talk about, you know, uh, a Western identity or our, our attachment to Rome, and in a sense being sort of nervous about that. Like, uh, the, the Roman Empire brought a lot of great things to people. And in a certain sense, when we talk about the West, could you say like there's, there is a kind of imperialism here or colonization of cultures. And so like for as Catholics, how do we, should we, there's a lot of talk today about like the fall of Western civilization. Should that be at the forefront of our minds? I guess what I hear you saying is like, we, we can't sort of avoid that. That's, that's our DNA. And so it's better just to think about like, how do we, how do we do this well in a certain sense? Right. I think uh, we we're sort of allergic uh, in the West, contemporary West, for an understanding of, of empire. Uh, and this might be a good thing to talk about on July fifth, right? Um, <laughs> but the again, if you go back, so so sort of the, the the programmatic statement about about the Roman Empire is is I alluded to this earlier is in Book Six of the Aeneid. Uh, if 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 you want to look it up. Uh, but the the idea is that Rome isn't as it, it, they they're not artists. They don't write they don't write pretty poetry. That's what Greeks do, right? Greeks make statues, but what Romans do is they rule. Okay, they build roads, 
they establish laws. And uh, this is very different from the idea of the Greek Empire. See, Alexander the Great wanted to bring Hellenism mm-hmm. to the whole world, right, from, from, from Greece to India, and that meant primarily that people became Greek. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they learned Greek, they became Greek, they participated in this Greek culture. That's not what the Romans have have understand themselves to, to, to do. Um, uh, and I think, uh, as Americans reflecting on this, there's a great book, I can't remember the author right now, but the title is Why We're All Romans. And it talks about how a lot of our ideas about, uh, uh, in the founding the founding fathers were derived from, from Rome rather than Greece, mm. which again goes, goes kind of against our idea. But in the early, early American period, they called it the, uh, they called the United States the Empire of Liberty. Uh, and and Augustine uh, picks up on this idea with with um, uh, you know basically we're we're united in the things that matter, mm-hmm. but and that and that's the difference between an empire and a nation in a lot of ways. You could say the early idea of federalism is much more like an empire, uh, and you see this this tension in 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 the contemporary European Union where you have sort of the erosion of national identities, the reassertion of regional identities within a, a broader European conception. That's very secular, uh, strangely, and, 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 and that's, that's been one of the problems, right? There's no, there's, no, there's no common heritage to unite the EU. Uh, that seems to be one of its problems. There's this big elephant in the room called Christianity. Right. Uh, but, uh, but that's not what they've decided to go with. Mm. Um, so... I think yes, we can we can we can talk about yeah, we've got we've got this 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 imperial baggage this this postcolonial baggage. But what's what's interesting to me is um, uh, this 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 mission of Rome, uh, which is which was recognized by 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 pagans and then co-opted or adopted by Christians, uh, is is to establish the sort of the boundaries. Mm-hmm. Right, and and uh, uh, and to be in charge, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I can't remember. It's 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 Schmemann or Florensky. I don't remember one of these one of these great uh, 20th century Orthodox writers talked about the three great traditions in Christianity, and he said that Orthodoxy has a charism for for, for beautiful liturgy, and Protestantism has a charism for a biblical study. And the Catholic Church has a charism for organization and canon law, right? Well, well so the, you're listening to the Uncommon Good. This is uh, Bo Bonner, Bud Marr, <laughs> speaking with Eric Ellis, uh, uh, Notabart Fellow in Medieval Institute at University of Notre Dame. What I think is funny about all this, what you're pointing out, Eric, is the worry about col- co- colonialism, empire, and things like this, that you say the very people that get accused of this are allergic to, right? They're worried about being empire. They're worried about being colonial. It seems to be the quote-unquote peripheries um, that embrace this narrative strongest, and it's not a matter of them thinking about toppling the empire. They're like, well, how do we make that ours? And when right. you think about this in terms of what, what does, why does Russia, for instance, care that we care about um, the uh, why am I blanking? Not the Ukraine, uh, the the Crimea, or the Crimean uh, Peninsula, or why is it that um, you know you have someone like ISIS who's trying to set up a caliphate, and it's not enough that they're just like a caliphate where they're at. They want to go to Rome. 
that there's still these ideological signifiers in a world that is very secular, supposedly less religious than it's ever been. But that doesn't mean that people think um, that there's not these uh, guiding notions about how if they take these sort of symbolic reins um, of power, that they will become uh, what they've always wanted to be. Um, and, and that there's a way in which they're trying to reenact their beginnings uh, of what makes them who they are in order to uh, grasp these reins. Yeah, um, I, I think that that's something I, I, I think about is national rebirth through the reenactment of history. Uh, and, and we tend to think of, even, even, even now, almost 200 years later, we think of these in terms of 19th century uh, political philosophy. So uh, nationalism. And <clears throat> nationalism was, in a sense, sort of inherently secular, right? It, it, it comes out of uh, the French Revolution. And we've been, with the, with the breakdown of, of the empires uh, 100 years ago now, at the end of World War I, you have all these, all these different groups who have been trying to figure out how do, we, how, do we, how do we be modern, right? And we in the West tend to think that that's through innovation, right? It's through, it's through doing something completely new. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that's really how it works. Uh, even even the, these ideas of innovation, these 19th century uh, nationalisms, were inspired by uh, emulating a past. So I'll give, it, give the example of Greece. Mm-hmm. Um, and this also plugs into to Russia in a way, but uh, the Greek war for independence, Greece, uh, Constantinople fell 1453, and then uh, it was part of the Ottoman Empire for the next uh, 400-some years, okay? And uh, at the end of the 18th century, there was sort of this, this, this argument arose about Greek nationalism. Uh, there, was, there, was a, there was the understanding that the Ottoman Empire was... was 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 in de- was in decline. It would take it another hundred and some years to to finally uh, fall. But it was in decline, and uh, especially the Christians in Europe were looking uh, to establish their own kingdoms and that sort of thing. Anyway, so you had one one stream that wanted to go in this uh, enlightenment direction, and they wanted to found modern Greek identity on Athens. Mm-hmm. So the the golden age of Athens, Plato, Aristotle. That was what they were going to embrace. There was another stream that said, no, we're going to resurrect the Byzantine Empire. Hmm. And uh, these two streams competed for 100 years. Uh, so the Greek nationalist hmm. wars start in, in 1820, and they really go until a few years after World War One. so I think 1923 or so. Um, and it's the failure of the Greeks. So the Greeks and the Turks, they keep fighting after World War One is over. For several more years, and they can never, the Greeks can never get Constantinople. And it's really at that moment that the Greeks definitively decide, well, I guess we're going to embrace Athens, <laughs> right? And we're going to stop being Romans. We're going to be, we're going to be Hellenes. We're going to be Greeks. There's this great story. Um, uh, this, this was, I think, 1912, of, uh, of this would be right before World War One. Uh, the, the Aegean Islands, which are just off the coast of Turkey, were still uh, were still Ottoman controlled, and the Greeks and Turks have been fighting for a long time. And uh, there's the story that the Greek army uh, lands on this on one of these Aegean islands, and there's a boy on the beach, and the boy addresses the Greek soldiers in Greek and says, "Who are you guys?" And they say, "We're the Greek army," and he says, "Who are the Greeks?" 
and they say, you are Greek, and he says, I'm a Roman. Oh. And uh, I, was in, I was in Turkey, I was, in, I was actually in Istanbul last August for a conference, and it was striking to me that, uh, so there are still Greek Orthodox churches there, but in Turkish, uh, the word for Greek Orthodox is Roman Orthodox. Oh, really? Um, and, and, and the Ottoman Empire did not refer to itself as the Ottoman Empire, one of its titles was the Sultanate of Rome. What? You know, wow. So <laughs> you just the more the more you look at this stuff, it it really changes your perspective. Well, okay? so the, okay, just this just came this just just occurred to me. You're talking about this choice between Constantinople and Athens, right? It's almost like people enact this unthinking ways. So I think about how they made a huge deal about having the Olympics in Athens. What is that year two thousand? And yeah. how they built all this stuff and then. It all went decrepit and, and, and to put, they didn't have anything to it. And now it's like this standing example of how like the Olympic committee will build all these things and then people don't have anything to do with them afterwards. And is it good for countries, blah, 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 blah. Because there's this idea, right, that if you have the Olympics and everyone's going to go there and it'll be all this commerce and it will be good for your nation. And literally Greek just plummets, the, the Greek economy plummets right after mm-hmm. the Olympics. But I think it's like this weird, probably unintentional thing, right? Like they are all... They wanted Athens to be this sort of center of modern nationalism. Like, look at the Greeks re-inheriting their, um, their old dynasty, but it didn't work out. <laughs> right, right. And I think I have, I have Greek friends, and, and there's, this, there's, there's this confusion, right? It didn't work, right? We were told, uh, you join the EU, uh, become part of the Eurozone, uh, engage in deficit spending, embrace Western morality, Western values, and it all works out, Right. And it didn't. <laughs> it really didn't work for the Greeks. Um, so now there's. I don't think it's. I don't think it started there. But I. I, I certainly would think. You know, in, in Russia's geopolitical strategic thinking, they're looking at Greece, and they're saying maybe we can provide you guys a way out. You know, uh, and and of course this is, there's there's a lot of dark corners this can take, and we could talk about existential threats to NATO and 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 whatever else, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's contemporary issues like this where I really think broadening our perspective, understanding who we are and where we come from, and where everybody else comes from, right? In this big Mediterranean basin, uh, would help us understand why people feel the way they do, why people think the way they do, and ultimately why they act the way they do. You're listening to the Uncommon Good with Bill Bonner and Bud Marr. We're talking to Eric Ellis this morning. Um, Eric, you mentioned earlier the relationship between the West and Islam, and this whole history has always intrigued me. Um, uh, your your comment about ISIS and how they perceive the West, uh, it, it sounds to me like you're saying, like, we can't deny our heritage, and to do so, it would just be... I, I think and sometimes in these conversations, we think if, if, if ISIS or um, if the Islamic world perceives us as Western and Christian, that that in some way, like, ratchets up the tensions... But this operates under this false notion, right, that culture is somehow morally neutral. I know, you know, for for many committed Muslims, I'm sure that there's values that you would call like modern and Western and secular that are just as much, if not more so, a threat to their culture. But that that relationship is difficult. So we we think about the West as, as Christian. We have that whole heritage. And yet, like in a place like the United States today, it's a very multicultural, like diverse um, scene on the ground. Um, do you have any thoughts regarding uh, the historical relationship between the West and the Islamic world and 
you know, how that plays itself out today? Yeah, um, I think, first off, it's important to say that, that you know, ISIS doesn't represent mm-hmm. all, of, all of Islam, right? Um, but there is, and Islam is very diverse, uh, but there is, I think, generally an understanding of, of Islam as being uh, part of a continuum with Christianity, Mm-hmm. Right, uh, just as Christians understand Christianity as being a completion or a fulfillment of Judaism, mm-hmm. uh, Muslims believe that Islam is the fulfillment or the completion of Christianity. So there's a sense that we're all in the same boat. We're all part of the same organism, right? Um, and I think that where you you have influential people on the right calling uh, what's going on in the world, what's been going on since, I don't know, 1999, 2001, whatever, a clash of civilizations. But I don't think that that's how it's understood uh, by, by Russia, say, or, and by, by uh, fundamentalist Islam. They're understanding it as something like a dynastic succession. Hmm. Um, and we tend to think in the, again, with, with the West, with liberalism, we tend to think in terms of revolutions. Hmm. Uh, rather than in terms of continuities, right? Right. So we're looking for that change, right? We would not understand, we just celebrated independence, we would not understand the United... We, we, we think that what happened in the 1770s and 80s was something that fundamentally altered the United States and severed that connection and made a new beginning, right? It's, we're, not, we're not like a branch of the United Kingdom. Ah, uh, yes. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Whereas I think this older conception, uh, so they, 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 they talk about, scholars talk about, there's a great book called Byzantine Republic. It's controversial. But this idea that, um, uh, say, from 509 B.C., when the Roman Republic is established, to 1453 A.D., there's never really a conception of the Roman Empire. There's one Roman Republic that goes on, and of course it changes, right? But there's never a revolution, and the idea is, we're not, uh, there's lots of fighting. And, and in, in a sense, I think uh, the ancients and the medievals, they had a, <laughs> some people might say cynical, some people might say more realistic view of, of how this stuff goes on. But, but uh, we're not trying to change the fundamental basis of society. We're just trying to change who's in control of it. Right. Well, I just that's think what, ab- that's what that's what medieval politics is about. When I think right? about w- with like Bud's question, what you're saying, there's a way in which if what you're saying is true, it's not accurate to say the West and Islam, because Islam understands itself as part of the West. And that if you're really going to make the debate about this, since the inception of of Islamic culture in the 8th century, um, it's been integrally tied um, with what we would call, what we even think now as as, as the West, with Europe and, and, uh, like you said, the remnants of the Roman Empire. Um, To talk about a truly Eastern culture would have to talk about um, the the Mongolian uh, civilizations or the Han Dynasty, but Islam, tr- even though they they butt up against India and things like this, they really do see themselves, especially I think from the Turks onward, right, as being part of the West and trying to establish their place in the West. Absolutely, and and I think that that's the issue where maybe we might talk about them being, you know, Roman, <laughs> right? Uh, even now. There's all, of course, there are tensions, right? Because nationalism, the 19th century version of nationalism, a lot of 20th century history, the Middle East, is trying to figure out how to make this 
this European 19th century nationalist model work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got Arab nationalism, you've got Turkish nas- nationalism, uh, Kurdish nationalism, you've got all these other nationalisms, but, but uh, there's, there is this continuing stream of uh, this idea that, like, like, I, was, like I was saying, is yeah, the, the details shift, but really we're all still part of the same Roman Empire. Mm. And really what we're fighting is a dynastic struggle, Right. It, we're not we're not trying to change the fundamental reality of of the institutions. We're competing we're competing over who's who which dynasty is going to be in control. This is the uncommon and, good with uh, oh sorry this is the uncommon good with Bo Bonner yeah. and Dr. Bud Marr. We're speaking with Eric Ellis. Um, sorry I interrupted you. Keep going. <laughs> I'm not just doing a station. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, so uh, I, I again you know. I'm not. I'm not arguing that this is the right perspective. I'm just saying this is a perspective out there, yeah. and it's very powerful. And it's been very powerful for at least a thousand years, right? Well, so we we should probably under, we should probably think about it. You know, shift our view a little bit. Well, I think it's important too that if you're talking about um, reapproachment or speaking about these things, or if there's a way forward with peace, you know, there's all these things we want to rightfully bring up. That uh, you know, you think about uh, just war tradition um, in the Catholic Church. And the idea that, you know, we, we don't want the world to be at, you know, perpetual antagonism. You know, we, we have, you know, very specific purposes um, for war and things like this. But that doesn't mean that there's not a geopolitical reality um, that we have to address. But it really is a different conversation to stop acting like, you know, we're this world being infringed by alien worlds you know, like all of a sudden um, um, competing with us, but to really talk about, you know, th- th- if, if what you're saying is true, the way we look at the world, these have been, you know, not competitors, but, um, you know, characters in the story of the West for a thousand years at least. And when you talk yeah. about it that way, that seems a lot different than talking about, there, there's a way even when we talk about like Russians, you know, like influencing elections or like looking at our smartphones that it it takes on this 1950s like you know body snatcher alien type motif instead of saying um these are the very people that like our ancestors and their ancestors both asked themselves openly who is the true inheritor of the Roman empire and the same thing it would be with um islamic cultures and that's the, that's just a very different conversation and one with a much more uh deeper roots but maybe also more uh resources for actually bridging gaps perhaps yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think so, uh, especially when you I, – I, I don't know how far historical conscious at the popular level goes back, but it's not very far, you know? <laughs> right. Um, uh, World War I wasn't that long ago uh, from a historical perspective, but it seems like ancient history. Right. And uh, people are talking about the new – again, cl- this clash of civilizations narrative, the, 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 the new contact, right, the, this, this immigration crisis in Europe. But – uh, you talk about you know the, the the connections between Italy and North Africa are <laughs> go back thousands of years, mm-hmm. and uh, you have you have Ottoman Ottoman pirate raids in the in the in the 19th century, right, uh, on the coast of Africa. Sicily was 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 uh, Arab Arab controlled up to for several hundred years up to the year 1000, mm-hmm. right. That impacts if you go south of Rome. You know, there's this old. Uh, um, Italian proverb: South of uh, Africa begins south of Rome, mm-hmm. right? And what they mean by that? This is what this is what Tuscans say. You know, the, the Tuscans are the are the the most Italian Italians. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and what they mean by that is is uh, 
southern Italy is profoundly influenced by this, this southern and eastern Mediterranean culture that's Greek and Roman and Arab in a way that, that, that northern Italy is not. Mm. Um, and so you have that, you have the, the, the Arab presence in Spain that goes back a long, a long way, you know, and, and that wasn't, uh, that wasn't uh, uh, totally gone until 1492. Which again, that's like that people say that was like 500 years ago. Yeah, but but uh, you have to remember before they left 500 years ago, they had been there for almost 800 years. Right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's you know, that's that's small potatoes, right? Um, so I think, and, and then again, you look at you look at you look at uh, Eastern Europe, Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, the the siege of Vienna, the Ottomans Ottomans got to the gates of Vienna in 1689, uh, and World War One, uh, which totally refashioned the world order, uh, was in, in large part a working out mm. of this problem in the Balkans. And uh, we know that the problems in the Balkans are not over yet, no, right? Not at all. We're still, still trying to figure that out. I think uh, it might be too much of a stretch to get people to appreciate that, you know, the whole Mediterranean basin and all the, all the cultures that have, that have branched off of that are one big family. But I think... It, it would do us well, and especially in our in our church, to understand that uh, the Eastern churches and the Western churches are all one big family. Right. And this is this is something that's that's really I think obscured by contemporary uh, discourse. Mm-hmm. But uh, as a linguist, I, I focus on words, and and uh, the more I've I've, I've I've had to become something of a Slavicist working on on Byzantium, uh, the Slavic word for emperor, of course, is tsar, hmm. which means Caesar. <laughs> and the Slavic word for king, strangely enough, is karol, which, from, which comes from karolus, which is Char- Charlemagne, karolus hmm. <laughs> manus. <laughs> I didn't know that. So you look at this, yeah, yeah, so those are the two, and that's true of basically all the Slavic languages. So the word for king is, or the word for emperor is Caesar, the word for king is karol, Charles. <laughs> Charles. So... You think about that, and you you have this 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 big thing like th- w- there's this big divide right between east and west, and you just you you look for it, and you can't find that moment in time. It's not 1054, hmm. it's not 1204. I don't know when it is. I can't find it. Hmm. You know, this this period when there there wasn't deep cultural exchange and connection between the two uh, the two churches. Yeah. We even couldn't call them two churches. So Eric, the two as- ways of doing things. Uh, thanks for that. As Bose mentioned, um, Russia's been in the news a lot lately, and they have kind of a unique place in this history, right? Like, could you talk some for our listeners about how Russia views its place in relation to the West? You know, they obviously Orthodoxy is a big part of their history, but they also touch large portions of Asia, and I, I think they do. I, you would say see themselves separate from like the Western European nations. Um, what's what's their place or their role in this history? Yeah, so this is this is a difficult question, and again, I, I talked about the Greek experience earlier because I think it's a little cleaner, and it's it doesn't extend over such a long period of time. Um, but Russia has has sort of these two these two competing aims too. Uh, since about the 17th century, they've really wanted to be part of the club, <laughs> which is to say, they want to be taken seriously as a European power. Um, and Western Europe has has always kind of excluded them, um, but you have. Say Peter the Great is sort of the the um, uh, uh, the guy who who really got this going. He 
he sort of embraced this enlightened ideal, right? And uh, he wanted to be this enlightened despot. And he embraced, uh, he, he got a bunch of Italians to come and, uh, and, and, and paint in the Western style and changed Russian fashion. And, and, and that all seems kind of superficial, but it was really important at the time. And that's, that's one stream. Now, there's also this other stream that, that maybe is like the Dostoevsky stream, right? This, 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 this hard, orthodox, peasant idea of Russian identity that's very strong. And I think that the, the experiment with communism and socialism ultimately was like Russia trying to be more Western than the West, mm. right? Like, uh, we're going to show you how progressive we are, right? Right. We're we're we are we're we're more Western than you guys, and again that didn't it doesn't seem to have worked out. Um, uh, a lot of people are talking about the sort of history has accelerated in Russia. Uh, you know they they tried capitalism for a brief period in the 90s and it really didn't work and they and they kind of did all the permutation hmm. and they didn't like it very much. No. <laughs> you know, it didn't work out so well. Um, so. Again, you can look at all this very cynically, and, and you can say the leadership in Russia is 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 using all these narratives simultaneously. Hmm. But uh, as far as it, it, there, there's a, there's a competition for the soul of Russia, as there is in, in, in every country, and they have these different models, yeah. and they're all from the past. And I guess that's that's the idea. Like, which one are we going to reenact? Yeah. It's not really a question of like how are we going to find the new thing. It's how are we going to do the old thing in a way that's going to make us better. Well, right. Eric, yeah, Eric, um, you, the, the, you know, you get at like 931 and you feel like you could probably talk for another hour. This has been fascinating stuff. I'm sorry I'm going to have to cut you out, off because we're, getting, we're running out of time. Eric Ellis is the Notobart Fellow in the, at, in the Medieval Institute at the University of Notre Dame. Um, he's writing his dissertation on, on many of these issues. Um, Eric, you're going to do great things to help people um, come to understand about this reapproachment between East and West. This, all these concepts. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm glad that we got all the technical difficulties worked out and had you on. Thanks for having me, Bo. Appreciate it. All right, this is The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. We'll be back in a minute. Stick around. Hey, friends, John Lee here, and I want to thank Plaza Dental Group for underwriting my show. Plaza Dental Group makes their patients feel comfortable and right at home, like one of the family. Catholic-owned, they offer cosmetic dentistry and implants, six-month smiles, and Invisalign an alternative to traditional braces, along with mercury-free dentistry. Plaza Dental Group, comfortable dentistry, 515-344-3523, online at dmsmiles.com. Support for Dowling Catholic Sports 365 is provided in part by Monroe Law Office in Des Moines. For 28 years, Ken Monroe has represented Iowans in all types of civil litigation, including personal injury, property damage, insurance coverage, and contract disputes. Ken Monroe, Notre Dame graduate, and his wife Mary are active members of St. Pius X Catholic Church and Dowling Catholic graduates. Proud supporters of Dowling Catholic High School and its mission. MonroeLawOffice.com. That's M-U-N-R-O LawOffice.com. Back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr. Last time tickling the airwaves at 9.33, because next week we will begin at 10 a.m. But any closing thoughts for this, our last quote-unquote early show? No, I know we facilitate the interviews, Bo, but today's interview is one of those interviews that I got caught up in it. You know, I never interacted with Eric before, but so much there. And I, I think the talk about patriotism at the beginning of the show and then listening to Eric, it really reminded me, 
Like, I think there's this false idea that's out there that secularism is just kind of like this morally neutral space that it creates the space for the rest of us to walk in. But the question of cultures and cultural identity, I mean, that that's, that's so fraught. And as Christians, you know, like you said, we're in the world, but not of the world. But And we can't extract ourselves from those conversations or from that kind of reality. And sometimes it is very difficult to find out what faithfulness means in different contexts. But I think Eric just gave us a lot of uh, t- tools to work with this morning. Well, I think one of the things he did was point out with that narrative, the the modern one really works hard to act like it's the only one. Yeah. And sometimes you go like, you know how when there's someone who really is always boasting about themselves, you're like, oh, what dark, weak secret does he have? Yeah. Well, that's what it is, right? Is there are all these competitive narratives. There's people right now who have very different narratives. And so this narrative about this like, secular neutrality has to like scream louder yeah. and louder and as we look at what's going on over in europe it's unraveling yeah and so the question is where friends are we going to go look for another narrative and this is where the church has not just a narrative but the true gospel of what jesus christ has intended for not only human individuals but human societies well one topic we didn't get to and i'm sure eric would have had tons to share about it was the protestant reformation and you know since like all right to to pick on a group a little bit like Protestantism really um, instantiated or like really sparked this kind of fragmentation of Christianity in the West. Nationwide. Yes. Na- yeah. And I mean, uh, what's, what's powerful about the Catholic faith is that there's this inherent commitment to holding together. And I mean, we can talk about a commitment, but it's really like supernatural, the Holy spirit keeping this integral body that walks through history. And so the wheat do grow up with the tares, but one thing that you see, you know, with the Catholic faith, empires come and go, countries come and go, and in each case, the church says we're going to be praying for our governing authorities and working to create a just society. And yet, you know, I, at the end of time, as things crumble and fall, the church will be there as the source of salvation and the giver of the sacraments to, to people who are looking for it. I think the thing people should become more comfortable with is we've gotten to the place where if we're fighting, we think we have to be different and divided. But I think what Eric points out and what the church I mean, the perfect thing is we're all saints, but I think what we can practically hope is like, we're all going to have fights, but let's fight has like this, these be inner family fights instead of acting like at the first sniff of any disagreement, we need to break off into radical groups. Well, like we said, folks, this is the last time that we're going to be starting at 830 next week, next week, next week, next week, next week. Like I said, same channel, but at a different time, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., the new time for the uncommon good by popular demand. And uh, so also remember that um, if you have, uh, we want to be a part of our ministry here at Iowa Catholic Radio, that make sure to send uh, money. We always love it when people can be a part of our uh, our ministry, not just by listening to it, but participating in it. And we uh, would appreciate that. In my family, we stole, you know, like the whole during Lent, some churches will do the rice bowl and you yeah. leave your spare change. I keep telling my daughters to leave their spare change for Iowa Catholic Radio. There you go. Many it are, adds up over time. So, yeah, no, I think that's great. We have the rosary coming up at 940. We have Bible in a year every morning at 5 a.m. We have so much going on and we're glad for you to be a part of it. And we're only welcoming you to be even more a part of it by donating. Iowa Catholic Radio. Friends, this is The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our families, in our city, our state, our nation, especially this day after July 4th, and the entire world. God bless everybody. This is The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. We will see you next week, Wednesday, 10 a.m., 11 a.m. 10 a.m. 
The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard Wednesdays at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. on Iowa Catholic Radio and on the official Iowa Catholic Radio app. Thank you, Pekin Insurance, for your support of the Dowling Catholic Boys Baseball Broadcast. Confused about insurance? Pekin Insurance, provided by Rob McCarger at Lagori Insurance Agency in Des Moines, can help you find affordable auto, home, business, or life insurance coverage. Pekin Insurance provides beyond the expected services and coverage. Lagori Insurance Agency, 4320 1⁄2 Southwest 9th Street, Des Moines, Iowa, 515-285-0370, or online at lagori-insurance.com. When it comes to insurance, all you need to remember is Robert Cota. He's your local Farm Bureau agent and your one agent for personal and business insurance. Robert Cota, 515-961-4555. Farm Bureau Life Insurance Company, Farm Bureau Property and Casualty Insurance Company. Thank you, Egg Solver, for your support of Dowling Catholic Boys Baseball Broadcast. Egg Solver identifies real problems and puts them into financial terms. Egg Solver, 2701 Ken Avenue, Ames, Iowa, 515-203-3545. At Golden Roll Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, we put your mind at ease with the Gold Club membership. I'm Bobby from Golden Roll, where our Gold Club members get automatic twice-a-year system checks, a full plumbing inspection, no-trip charges, and front-of-the-line service. At Golden Rule Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, we obey the five rules to live by every single day. We deliver respect, understanding, loyalty, expertise, and service every time you call. Home is where your heart is. The Gold Club membership helps you protect it. Online at goldenrulephc.com. Thank you, construction professionals, for underwriting our show, Man Up. Heard Mondays at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. Construction professionals have been long supporters of Iowa Catholic Radio, and we've seen their work. It's beautiful. They do remodeling or new construction that is innovative, functional, and designing what you want. It's a family business built on a strong foundation to create a new or remodeled home that is uniquely yours. cpcustomhomes.com. From our family to yours, God bless. Thank you, construction professionals. Hi, this is Marty McDonald with McDonald Imaging Solutions, and it's been my joy to support Iowa Catholic Radio by printing the famous Pope on a Stick fans used at the Iowa State Fair. We also printed the Art Catholic Schools Rock folders. McDonald Imaging Solutions is a family-owned business with over 1.5 million promotional items to choose from. We specialize in custom labeling, marketing, and corporate apparel. I personally help any business, big or small, to build their brand.